0: Father, we thank you for this evening and the opportunity that you've bestowed upon us by your providence to come together to humble and submit ourselves to your word and to your authority. First and foremost, we thank you for Jesus who gave himself up for sinners like us that By faith in him, we would be forgiven and granted eternal life. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit. We pray that by your spirit, we would be purified and convicted and challenged and encouraged according to your will. And in such a way that we can look back on time and see the marked difference in who we were before Jesus. Versus who we are now with Jesus. Forgive us of our sins because they are many. And when you remember us, Lord, remember us according to your mercy. And as we study, Lord, soften our hearts and make our minds receptive. To take the form and shape of your word. That our words would be yours. That our convictions would be yours. That our Statutes would be yours. And help us to minister to those in need around us, whether it be by word or deed. And help us to do all that we do with love, because you are love. Whether we come across someone who needs to hear a word of the gospel, or someone who knows the gospel but needs to receive some sort of brotherly or sisterly encouragement, Lord, help us to know when we ought to do what? And help us when we do it, not to bring glory to our own selves because pride comes before the fall. But help us instead to do it for your name's sake. That we would be involved in pushing back the darkness for the sake of your son's kingdom. And we pray as we study this beautiful prayer that you'll help us to see things that perhaps we haven't seen yet. Or that you would remind us of things that we have seen and heard, but maybe forgot the importance of. We thank you for everyone who's here. But of course, God, we lift up prayers to you for those who aren't here because of COVID or because of other illnesses or work issues, family issues. Maybe there are people here tonight uh, who are not here tonight because their convictions are not in the right place. For whatever reason, Lord, people are absent tonight. We pray that you'll meet them where they are and give them what they need. That you'll be a loving and compassionate father with them as you have been with us. And in the meantime, between those who are here and those who are not here, God, that you'd keep us healthy and safe, that you'd keep our church moving forward, for which we give you thanks. We're grateful for the momentum that we have had. We we are grateful for the financial health that we have had the last few months. We're grateful for the Lottie Moon collection that we have collected for those who are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. Lord, we pray for every penny of every dollar that it would be sanctified and consecrated to the use of your glory. But for the sake of this evening, Lord, would you meet us here tonight and do something special in our midst. We pray it in the name of our Savior, whom we love. Amen. Okay, let me invite you to open to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is the first of four Gospels. Gospels are the title that we give to those books that are not only biographical, but are biographical with a point. I say from time to time that I love biographies because I do. One of the biographies that I enjoy uh, reading is that of Winston Churchill. I have a number of them. I'm watching, I don't know if you guys have seen it, World War II in color right now which is a really good documentary series. Um, I'm a nerd like this. But I share this information with you to say this. When I read biographies, whether of C.S. Lewis or Jonathan Edwards or Winston Churchill or J. McInerney and Carlson in perspective, that was interesting. But regardless of what biography you read, at no time does the biographer ever say, I have written this biography so that you will place your faith in Jay McInerney, and in placing your faith in Jay McInerney, you might be saved. That is different from biography. Biography is a report, hopefully a faithful report, on a person's life and events and death and perhaps the impact of those things. But a gospel is a report of a person's life and death and after the death, resurrection, with the point of bringing us to faith in that person, namely Jesus. So John says in John chapter 20, verse 31, These things I have written so that you would believe in the name of the Son of God and that by believing you would have eternal life in His name. At no point in time do you read a biography that says this biography was written so that you would place your faith in this person. The Gospels, however, are not just biographies. They are biographies with the purpose of faith. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four books that you could never, ever read enough. Regardless of what we're going through on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings, and on Sunday mornings, as you know, we alternate between an Old Testament book and a New Testament book and an Old Testament book and a New Testament so that we have a healthy, balanced diet of God's word. Amen. But on Wednesday night, even as we're going through the studies of looking at certain sections in the Gospels, it's never a bad idea to read a Gospel. If you get up in the morning and you're up early, maybe God, the Holy Spirit woke you up and said, you haven't spoken to me in a while and we need to have a conversation. And you sit at the Word of God and you wonder where to start, grab a Gospel. Find some red letters and spend time with Jesus. It is never a bad time and it is never a bad idea to spend time with Jesus in the Gospels. Learning about who He is, what He did, and what He's promised to do post-resurrection. In particular, what we're studying is found in the Sermon on the Mount, just found in two different places, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. But we're looking particularly in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the three chapters that comprise the Sermon on the Mount. We are looking at the Lord's Prayer, which is dead center of the sixth chapter. Now, there's a lot of good things that happen in chapter 5. Jesus, for example, opens his famous Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes, the Blessed sayings. You remember that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are uh, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who will mourn happens before that. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are The pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who will be persecuted. So as you go through those, you read them and you say, wow, this is completely antithetical to anything that we've ever been taught. At no point in time are we raised in an environment in which we say, listen, you need to be meek. Listen, you need to be poor in spirit. Listen, you need to be the peacemaker." We have a tendency to grow up in environments that are antithetical to that philosophy. But Jesus is not about our kingdoms here. Jesus is about his kingdom there. Amen? It's about what he's going to do in the future, and it's about the behavior of those who are kingdom citizens now, today, in this time, and in this age. So even though we live in the United States of America, in Miami, Florida, the truth of the matter is, our primary citizenship is the kingdom of God. And the qualities and characteristics that make up the citizenry of the kingdom of God should be evident in our lives. So Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hid. No one lights a candle and then puts a bushel over it. But they put it on a stand so that it will light everyone in the house, right? His argument is, don't be shy about your godliness. Don't be shy about your philosophy in Christianity. Instead, let them see your good works and glorify your Father who is where? Who is in heaven. Be salty and be full of light. So those are some of the points that Jesus mentions in the first Chapter Matthew chapter 5, of the Sermon on the Mount. And then we get into chapter 6. Once we get into chapter 6, we start in verse 5. And Jesus says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is where? In secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do because they think they will be heard because they use many words. Don't be like them, Because your Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. Pray then. Like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now thus far in our study of the Lord's Prayer, we have had two or three weeks, maybe an intro in two weeks. I can't remember. That seems like ages and ages ago. But what we have covered mainly has comprised three points. The first is... The preface, the second is the prayer, and the third is the principles. This is all I've got for you tonight. that the, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. So we have met and discussed so far these three points, even though we have covered the Lord's prayer over a few weeks so far. So what we're going to do is go back over some of these main points, iron out some things, and as God gives us time, then we will continue to move forward. Ready? Under the first point, the preface, we observed the context in which the Lord's Prayer was spoken. It's Matthew chapter 6. Verses 5 and following. In particular, verses 5 through 9. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, we get the context, immediate context, in which Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus, in doing this, gives us a twofold warning. Public prayers that are only spoken for personal attention. And wordy prayers that are only long for the sake of length. Say that again. He gives us a twofold warning. He warns us against public prayers that are prayed for personal attention. And secondly, he warns us against wordy prayers that are only wordy for the sake of length. Now we've talked about this a little bit and I want to break down these two points a little farther just so that we can get all of our arrows heading the same direction over the next few weeks. Public prayers. Is it wrong to pray in public? Is it wrong to want to pray in public? Not necessarily, right? What determines whether or not a public prayer is a prayer that is honorable to God attitude, attitude. Motivation. motivation recently when we had a congressional hearing they had a chaplain of some sort pray to Him or her or whatever gender you prefer and whatever name you decide to go by. It was like this long explanation. And then he said, Amen and woman. What in God's name? I don't even understand this language anymore. Is this a prayer that's honoring to God? Is this a prayer that reflects a biblical paradox? If you say yes, you don't know your Bible. If you say maybe you need to get to know your Bible better. But if you say no, it's probably because you've been educated and informed in regards to what is a biblical expectation of prayer on God's part. It isn't so that we can just play with verbiage, which is kind of what's happening today in public environments. We don't do that here. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. So it's important that we understand that public prayer is not a bad thing. Public prayer can be an incredible blessing. I don't know if any of you have been in prayer meetings where special things have happened in your soul and in your mind and you just leave feeling a sense of peace and confidence in the Lord. That's because public prayer does things. But public prayer for the sake of personal attention is something else. That's idolatry of narcissism, right? That is, I just love myself so much. That I'm going to put myself out there while I prostitute God so that I can get the praise and glory of men. But that's not the only thing that happens. Sometimes prayers are wordy for the sake of length because by our length of prayer, we think we're going to gain a foothold with God. Talk to me a little bit about this. What do you think he's implying? What can we infer? Get to the point. Get to the point. You telling me? You're talking to me like that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only a handful of people that can talk to me like that. Yeah,
2: even like when you're about to eat sometimes when they say the grace, right? Like let's say grace.
1: Sometimes
2: they just say a bunch of
0: it just goes on. Ah. So this is not a curse word.
2: No, I'm just okay. I think she's just because sometimes she's hungry. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: yeah. It's like that scene in Young Guns.
0: He says, "Please, the food is getting cold," and they pull the guns out. Is it? Am I the only one? I grew up watching Young Guns. Am I the only one? Come Sorry. on. There's like some other than. Well, um,
2: what I was going to say is, it's. I'm going it, to come back it, to that. By the way, it may not even be like wrong word It's just filler it's, yeah it, it, it's just to soak up time i liken it to when i tell my students to write concisely um and they write pages of essays when literally takes up what they wrote i can ch- chop it down to a paragraph mm-hmm. and that's all that needed to be said Yeah. <clears throat> but there's this compulsion to no, I'm not getting everything out. I need to put everything there, and it yeah.
0: ends up being empty. Yeah, yeah. Churchill said, "If you give me an hour to speak, I'll speak for a week. If you give me a week to prepare, I'll only speak for an hour." It, we have a tendency to fill the air with words like we're looking for what we're trying to say sometimes, and it's not meaningful. Now, I wanted to come back because you said something that was funny. I, I said, "fun." I mean, funny, not funny, but awkward. Yeah, exactly. So we ha- I have a friend who, who visited family one time. And he said, um, as I said, how to it go? He goes, it's just weird. I go, why is it weird? He goes, because all we talk about is Scripture and faith. And that's all fine. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But, but when this person prays, like before we eat, they're quoting Scripture literally with the address. Because your word says God in John 3, 16, that you so love. And, and like his mentality was, this is not prayer. This is, this is indirect lecture. You're not even talking to God. You're really just using God to talk to the guy across the table. You know what I mean? And I, I think we can do that sometimes.
2: But it's not wrong if you're doing that though, right? All the time. Like, you know Robert Lancy. I think it's Robert. He's like a preacher. We he hear, and I love the way that he prayed, but he, when he's praying, he says like almost to all the addresses of everything. He says it, but it
0: doesn't... It it's doesn't not It's It's not wrong, but since this is my house, yeah. I think that's ridiculous. Right. That's just my opinion. I will see that brother in heaven if he knows Jesus, and we're going to rejoice, and I'm so happy for that. Okay. But I think it's weird. When people quote his book to him with like a dress and, you know, like the book and chapter and verse. I think that's weird. But that's just me. Okay. But is it wrong? Of course not. Of course not. Um, I think you brought
2: up an interesting observation where, where, like, why would we need to quote the chapter and the book and the verse to... To, to God if he knows it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like at that point it's not we're not, you know, if, if our parents are supposed to be communication with God um, he doesn't need to be lectured about what it says in the word. Mm-hmm. Now it becomes look at how smart I know the Bible and everyone Now is this the, is the, the apologist
0: here. that Marcello likes? Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: Well this is when we first came, what I felt that it was that it was not it was it was more of you know, it was like a night prayer, right? We used to put it at night. It was like a night prayer, right? So then that's how it started. Mm-hmm. That's the only pastor we've ever heard say that. Like he's so but I took it as it was a prayer towards us. It wasn't that he was quoting it to God, but when he was like teaching us right. and this comes from this. Right. Which and is this a little different. Spirit. Right, you know that's a little well, different. Well, that's I kind of wanted to clarify. That it's yeah. not that like he said, like, because I've heard, his, and he's not like that. But I think it was just because it was a meditation prayer, mm-hmm. so and a beginner's type
0: of prayer. So right, he was trying to it show was kind of informing you, informing you and you teaching that, right, you as you were going through the motions, right. which is a little different. In this case, the 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 person who was praying was a pastor, a family member of this person, and and the person was saying it's it it it, it was weird to me to listen to this person pray to God and tell him where these verses were found in his Bible while the food was on the table, it, it comes across, in my, in my opinion, again, my opinion, it comes across almost like impersonal. Like, you're not talking, like, I don't call my dad and say, hello, dad, whose phone number is 305-389-8999. You know what I mean? But it's almost like you're filling the conversation with these words because you really don't have anything to say. Or you're filling the conversation with all of these words because you, you're afraid to listen. Which might be even more...
1: I'm sorry,
0: what? Yeah, we covered that one, didn't we? I want to read to you a section from the Old Testament. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 20. I have a pretty good sermon from this.
1: Chronicles? Did I say Corinthians?
0: Okay. Take me to the hospital. I'm losing. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let's have a party, right, Nami? As the tabs cut into the pages. Have you ever seen that? Do you have ears like that? And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar. That is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He was what? Afraid. Afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from whom? From the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, this is beautiful, O Lord, God of our fathers,
1: are you not God in heaven?
0: You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and you will save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do,
1: but our eyes are on you.
0: I think that there's probably a psychological aspect to recounting to God what he has done, not because he has forgotten, but because you're sort of being reminded in prayer. That's, that's
1: the point I guess I'm getting at. When, when I pray, I talk to God. He's my father. Mm-hmm. Okay? My father in heaven, All right. So I talk to him like, fortunately I had a very good relationship you know, you All right. Um, we got along very, very well. And I tell there- <coughs> What's
0: leading to the prayer? Are they going out for a picnic? No,
1: that's, that's my point. They're, they're, they're fasting and they're 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 being reverent. Um, right. I can't think of the word, but you know, they're they respectfully gathering in the name of God. Yeah. Okay. And so I I can know by by listening to that that he he definitely believes in God. He believes in the in the power, but you know when you standing when you get all this coming at you.
0: What else? What stands out to the, to you in this prayer?
2: If there's a lot of nothing. Then it's then it's wording. But if it's long, and there is no wasted word, then it is it is a prayer. It's not, no word is wasted.
0: Mm-hmm. He doesn't really know what to expect, does he? This this is a demonstration of a person who's under great stress, who's facing anxiety, battle, which is not a remote control war. This is battle in the days when the person that you killed, you killed with your hands, with a sword, right? So they're facing a very serious situation, and he doesn't know what to expect, but he knows who God is. You get that from the prayer. I know what you've done, Lord. That's what he said. I know what you've done. And at the end, after all of that, after this great, swelling, powerful prayer, he goes, we don't know what to do. <laughs> I love it. But our eyes are on you. And I, I don't like people who pray I don't like that. Let me rephrase it. I'm not a fan of people who pray as if it's a prescription for every single ailment within a 24-hour period. Prayer is not a pill. Prayer is the communication that exists in a relationship. And relationships require time and dyna- dynamics. So when we pray, God, it, God speaks to us and He answers us in His way. But it's crazy to think that just because I prayed, everything in my life should be sussed out. Here is a man of God in front of the people of God, and he does it. I mean, they gather everybody together. They get in front of the house of the Lord in the new courts, and he stands in front of everybody. He prays this huge prayer, and it ends like this. We don't know what to do. We have no idea what to do. But we're not going to look at Edom. We're not going to look at Ammon. And we're not going to look at Moab. We're going to look at you. There is such a thing as prayer that is unanswered but powerful. We have to be willing to concede what our Lord says in chapter 6, verse 8, namely, when you pray, pray to Him because your Father knows what you have need of before You ask him not since you're going to ask him, but before you ask him, which is which is something of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is something that sometimes causes problems for people when it comes to prayer. And they say things like, well, Joe, you emphasize the sovereignty of God. I say, yes, happily, I do. And they say, well, if God is sovereign, then why should we pray? To which I say, if God is not sovereign, why should you pray? Those who have small gods have a myriad of ways to get to him. But if you have the God of the Bible, you are flabbergasted that there's any way at all. There is one man between man and Christ and God, and it is the man Christ Jesus, Paul said. There's one way. And praise and glory be to his name that there is any way at all. Because he is sovereign and he is righteous and he is three times holy and he is love and he is good and we are none of the above. So when we talk about prayer, it's a little arrogant, it's a little presumptuous for us to say, I prayed twice about this, two times. And I don't have a pool in a Mercedes yet. Whatever. When the truth of the matter is, prayer is about connecting us to a God who loves us and gave His Son for us. I love what the psalmist says. You don't have to turn there, but I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 77. It reminds me a little bit of Jehoshaphat's prayer. He starts off by praying. He says, in the day of my trouble, I will seek you in the night. My hand will reach out without wearying. And he goes and he reads. He kind of he's praying this prayer, this Psalm 77, and he's kind of complaining. He's like, I don't know what's going on here and I don't know what you're doing there. I'm going to cry. and I'm going to reach out to you. And there's all this physical demonstration of a struggle because God is sort of aloof and, and, and far away. And then he says. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? And then he says. I know what I will do. I will appeal to this. The years of the right hand of the most high. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. And I will remember His wonders of old. Your way, O God, is holy. And what God is like our God? This prayer would be impotent and useless if the saint who was praying it was ignorant of God's redemptive history. Because he couldn't see God's redemptive present. Did you get that? There are times in our lives when we can't see what God is doing. We're not sure what's happening. We could be having relational problems, career problems. We could be in a bout of spiritual depression. We could have a closeted sin that we're wrestling with God about. Whatever the issue might be, for a number of reasons, we could be in a situation that gives us blinders to God's work redemptively in the present. But nothing can change what God has done redemptively in the past. And this saint in Psalm 77 is saying, God, I don't know where you are or what you're doing. I'm going to cry during the day. I'm going to reach out to you during the night, but I don't know where you are or what you're doing. So I know what I'm going to do. And what's he say? What's he going to do? I'm going to think about the things. What, Betty? I'm going to think about the things you've already done. I'm going to remember the things that you've already done. Guys, if we don't know what God has already done, how can we see and know when he does something in the present? Is that good? What is that? Are you beating each other?
1: I said, okay, you're done. But you're also about, even though when he came to the end, he said he didn't know what to do, he absolutely did know what to do. He fasted. They fasted oh, absolutely. And together. Yeah. We Re- recalled the promises that God had already done. He's, he did everything.
0: He, he he did what he knew he had to do absolutely. to that point, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Unquestionably. And I think the
1: point is that we have to do what we can do.
0: Yes. And I agree with that. The, someone once said it, do what you can, and then when you can't, let God. God. And I, I, I I kinda don't like the saying, but I get the point. God holds us responsible, He calls us to be obedient, He calls us to read, calls us to pray, He calls us to do good do good things, right? Etc. Absolutely. And pray and trust Him in the process. And there are certain times in our lives when we get to, so to speak, our human dead end, right? And at that point, what can we do? What can we do but rely on God at that point? And you're right, He did what He could do. Beyond that, it was God's business. Yep. Surrender. Right surrender oh, I don't want to talk I about
1: got it a, I got a similar saying yeah. uh, God will do for me what I can not do for myself but yeah. he will not do for me what I can do for myself mm. and, and uh, you know thinking about this and thinking about the prayers of David he he, he went through a lot and then what about Job those are some long yeah. chapters there yeah. there, talking to God and right. his, buddies,
0: right. his buddies right buddies
1: and I think it might be the difference between prayer and supplication. Because mm-hmm. I can pray for, like right now I'm looking for a house. God, this is what I like. This is my request. But, ultimately you're going to put me where you're going to put me. Right. But then there's, like when my son died, I was, on the, I was on the ground. That was supplication. Yeah. How do I get, what, what, how, why, all that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there, that might be the difference. I mean, when you're about to die, or those you love are about to die. Yeah. you're going to get serious. There's no longer going to be a request. You're going to be pleading. To yeah, God. yeah. You're going to be crying. There's going to be emotion. Then you're going to be really dependent. And yeah. I think sometimes God in my, in my life has brought me to this. And the reason I brought up this particular case
0: is because we were talking about under this heading, the preface, public prayer for personal attention, wrong, wordy prayer for the sake of length. And this is not that, (laughs) right? He prays, he says, oh God, you are a mighty God. You've done so many things in our lives. We trust you. We've seen what you've done in history. And we don't know what to do now. (laughs) Uh, That's it. That's the prayer, right? And and in Job, you brought up Job. The same situation, right? Job sits in the presence of the Lord. And what does he say initially? Nothing. There are times, I think, when you pray more with posture than you do with prayer, with words. It's just presence with God. And and I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to appreciate here. I think what Jesus is, and thanks for sharing that, guys. I think what Jesus is trying to get us to appreciate here is that if you're comfortable praying in public, you might just be a performer. And if you're comfortable saying long, wordy prayers, you might just have a big vocabulary. You guys know that I'm a big fan of the Puritans and the old guys. and John Owen was the, the prince of the Puritans. And um, he wrote, a, for example, a... Commentary on the book of Hebrews is eight
1: volumes like
0: this, eight volumes on 13 chapters, like just incredible. Anyway, he was a contemporary of the author of the Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. Ever read that book or heard that name, John Bunyan? His father, John Bunyan's father, was a tinkerer, which today the vernacular for tinkerer would be like handyman. He was just a tradesman, not educated. John Bunyan was not an educated man. He was an elementary educated person, and that is it. But he was in jail for a large majority of his life because he would not stop preaching. He was a nonconformist preacher in a time when you had to be the state religion or else you were not allowed to preach. So to make a long story short, short, God worked on John Bunyan and the book, The Pilgrim's Progress that he wrote in prison is second only to the Bible and the history of book sales. But John Bunyan's works, which are three volumes, are incredible. The depth of this guy, but the simplicity is just amazing. So John Owen, John Bunyan, extremely educated and highly noted. John Bunyan, uneducated, common. And on one occasion, as they would do in the old days, before movies and television and the whole nine yards, sometimes entertainment was preaching. And they would do open-air preaching. And those that were good would have open-air preaching announcements. And people would come by the thousands to listen to some of these people. And John Bunyan was one such person. And on one occasion, John Owen was going. And one of his peers said, Why do you go listen to the Tinker's Son? With all of your education, the tinkerer's son, why do you go listen to him preach? And John Owen said, I would happily give all my education for the power that the tinkerer has when he preaches. That's it. It's, it's not about our education or did the battery die? It's not about the education or the impression that we leave on the people around us or on ourselves by virtue of the fact that we think somebody likes the way we pray. It's intimacy. It's sincerity. It's Christ-centeredness. That's what's important. And then next, after the preface, we have the prayer. And under the prayer, we collected a few observations, and we're just going to mention them very quickly. Most importantly, the observations that we noted were in reference to the fact that this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is unmatched in familiarity and affection. The Lord's Prayer is unmatched in familiarity and affection. Think about it. They teach it in schools. People have it memorized. They play it in movies. It is in books. There are lines of the prayer that are etched in stone in different places and monuments because the Lord's Prayer is something that is not only familiar, but it's something that's loved. It is the prayer. It's taught more than any other prayer in history it's memorized more than any other prayer in history, and it's loved more than any other prayer in history. And at the risk of pushing this idea too far, I will still say that it isn't a prayer. It is the prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's the model that we follow, and it's the form that we aim to achieve in our own prayer life. And then lastly, skipping ahead here out of the interest of time, the prayer, the, or sorry, the preface, the prayer, and finally the principles, we learn that while different academics break down the Lord's Prayer into two sections, three sections, four sections, the point is without dispute. Jesus teaches us the principles of prayer by teaching us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us the principles of prayer by teaching us the Lord's Prayer. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, This is the way in which we should regard the Lord's Prayer. The principles are all here, and you cannot add to them. You can take the longest prayer that has ever been offered by a saint and you will find that it can all be reduced to these principles. There will be no additional principles whatsoever. I love it. The Lord's prayer is the skeleton of all healthy prayer. We see every aspect of prayer mentioned in it and this is why it is, I think, perennially adored because year after year after year, people either come to know the Lord's Prayer or perhaps come to know it again and realize some of the main features that it teaches. The first one is adoration. Adoration. The second one is petition. The third one is provision. The fourth one is absolution. And the fifth one, and this is, I believe there are five angles to this prayer. The fifth one is protection. So next week, we resume looking at the prayer itself and the sections that are there for us to learn from. Vicente, you want to close us out in prayer?